<laughs> How dope would it be to play in Los Angeles? How dope would it be to play in Los Angeles? Everybody, this is Derek Bodner. That was, of course, the NBA Combine audio from the NBA Combine, which is one of my simultaneously one of my most favorite and least favorite events of the season. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. It would be dope, would be dope. to play in Los it Angeles. Is, you know, I think the first Combine I went to was 2010. The um, Evan Turner, DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall draft. I think I believe that was 2010. And the first year I went out there, it's like, oh man, this is incredible. I'm going to get to you know interview all of these really great draft prospects. And that was back when the really great draft prospects went to it. And over the years, you know, eventually it then moved to Attack and Quest, uh, which is a, a gym, and they had basketball activity again. It's like, oh great, I'm going to be able to watch, you know, these guys play basketball. And then you realize it's mostly second rounders, and it's not great basketball. And over time, you just kind of get like so frustrated with what the event is because on like. Everything. You get 10 to 12 minutes with these guys, and there's five or six, you know, jackasses like that guy who just want to get sound bites for, you know, to pander to their fans. Like, oh, how great would it be if you got to play with, with Jerry West? Or not, not with Jerry West, but, you know, be mentored by Jerry West. Or how great would it be if you got to talk to Phil Jackson was a great one over the years? Or how, how incredible was it when you met Pat Riley for the first time? And all the time they're just kissing ass so blatantly to their fan base. And it's just like... I have 12 minutes with these guys. There's five of you jackasses asking these questions from different cities. And by the time you're done, there's no real content being, like, there's no actual, and not like you go there with hard-hitting journalism, but by God, I'd, I'd like to ask Lonnie Walker how his meniscus or his ankle is doing. You know what I mean? Like, the, oh, if, but it's Deep. still a great event because there's everyone there. There's every GM, every assistant GM, every scouting director. It's great from that regard, and that's why I still go. Getting actual content from it is a, a, a colossal waste of time. I like that the three names you brought up are all over seventy years old too. <laughs> well, because uh, they're like they're they're like the living legends. I was going for the living legends. I'm with you, but I have to think that for some of these kids, while I'm sure they respect those guys, that means nothing. They're oh. they're, they're in the Kobe generation, right? Uh, right. In terms of fandom, the one guy but, one guy but, asked him how great it would be, you know, with the clip. Well, what do you actually know about Jerry West? He's like, well, he's the logo. And that's all he had. And it's like, we're just wasting time here. We're, I, we're quizzing these kids. Anyway. anyway. Speaking of that, just to get off topic really quick, the, the Kobe thing, the, the show he does on, I don't know, it's something on ESPN. I, I don't know. The, I haven't seen the actual show. The, uh, the clips and sound bites I've heard of it, it sounds awful. He's just, it's gibberish. And everybody's like, wow, this is amazing. This is, what an amazing perspective this is uh it sounds terrible and after he did the jason tatum one jason tatum had two terrible games so <laughs> it's anyway no no reason to, to bog down the podcast with uh with combine talk there has been some news not a whole lot it is still uh it is still you know mid to late may and in, in the nba season which you're no longer playing in which for the first time and since we've been doing this podcast you're disappointed that you're no longer playing in but we had some of the teams announced, all rookie teams, all all defensive teams, and all NBA teams. And 
you know, we're used to talking about all rookie teams. Like even during the lean years, you had, you know, Nerlens and MCW, and I think even Okafor probably made it, which, anyway, <laughs> no reason to bog down the podcast with Jaleel Okafor talk. But we always had that team to talk about. All defensive teams, what was it? I think Iggy made it in like 2010-ish range. I think he made like a second team. And all yeah. NBA teams, you've got to go back to AI, I believe, right? So these are new. So first team all-rookie, Simmons, of course, was a unanimous selection, along with Mitchell. Uh, all defensive team, first team was Robert Covington. And second team center was Joel Embiid. Ooh. They both, uh, yeah. They both received 90 points, um, but because of, Positional, obviously, and I, nobody else in the second team received more than Covington. Uh, Joel Embiid tied him with 90 points because of positions. Covington got first team, Embiid got second team. I guess let's start off with those two. For, uh, no obvious objection to the all-rookie team. We both thought Ben Simmons deserved to make it, and we both obviously thought he would make it. All defensive He's teams, not a rookie, though, man. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just keep going. Um, all defensive teams. Do you think Joel Embiid should have made the first team? No, no. It's and I think he's the second best defensive player in the league, but unfortunately, the uh, the center designation came to bite him here. And I think you know he's finished with what maybe like five or seven games more than Rudy Gobert did. Yeah, if, if wasn't, that wasn't if, nice. if that had been thirteen or fifteen more games, that might have come into play. But that discrepancy wasn't enough. I had some people say you know Joel Embiid's better defending away from the rim than Rudy Gobert is, and I I don't disagree yeah. with that. Uh, it's it's. I think so, Rudy Gobert is probably a little underrated in that regard. He uses his length really well, but I don't think that's the deciding factor. Like I think I I think what Rudy Gobert does well, he does well enough that that versatility doesn't come into play. Yeah, Embiid, and it's it's a good point you make, but I, I I'd like to make a, a distinction within that. Embiid is fantastic at guarding one on one away from the rim. It's. I, I just spent the whole week rewatching the Celtics series and God bless, by the way. Got, yeah, it's it was tough. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, he was their best defender against Jason Tatum. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yep. <laughs> Which is hilarious. But on the other hand, when there are team concepts away from the rim, specifically that uh, that Horford uh, is often the smart Horford pick and pop. It was. Uh, uh, as as you wrote about that the the late reds and switches that was an uh, an adventure and even guarding Baines out there was a little bit of a struggle for Joe but yeah one on one on the on the perimeter he he's really good yeah it's just it's just go bear I, I think it, I you know I don't have the numbers right in front of me but the effect that he had on the Jazz defense especially in the second half of the year was absurd. Right, and and, 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 and I think, impact is absurd too. But there's just there's just one guy better, and it's that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, and uh, and in terms of I was a uh, how surprised were you that that Rocco got the first team? I knew he'd get a team. I knew I'd, he'd get second team, but yeah. I didn't. I wasn't. I would not have bet that he would have made the. I thought he was going to be on the second team. You know, I think I, I like I talked to a lot of people and. You know, a lot of people had a vote, a lot of people I respect, and I think I knew there was a chance. Like I was, First of all, like I said, I was very confident he was getting at least second team, and I thought there was a chance he would get first team. I'm a little surprised it ended up happening. Like I, I, I think as much as it shouldn't, those still tend to go to names, and Covington still isn't quite a name. 
And, you know, I made a tweet at the beginning of the year, like, hey, Covington might be scoring enough where he might actually get all defensive team. And there's a little too much truth into that for, you know, than I wish there was. But I do think the Sixers playing on a lot more. You know, a lot of people will be like, well, why did he make it this year and not last year? Because I think he probably had a better defensive season last year. Uh, in, in part because, you know, he's playing out of position a lot. Um, but I think, you know, playing on how many more national TV games than last year, playing, you know, winning 52 games, like that all goes into it, and it shouldn't. Um, but I think I think they got it right. I think he deserved it. I think if this was, you know, Kawhi or Andre Roberson were healthy, this would be a very different conversation. Then he's getting, you're talking second team, maybe even push beyond that. But I think uh, I think he was one of the, the best wing defenders. And a lot of people, you know, especially when Robert Covington has those down periods, uh, which the well actually is about his defense. And look, 100%, he was not great defensively, not even good defensively in the playoffs. Like, I think I think Boston found ways to exploit that. Even when they switched Covington more on to Tatum, he wasn't up to his usual, usual self. But in the regular season, whenever Covington struggles offensively, is when you tend to get those well actuallys about his defense. And, you know, a lot of people will who don't like Covington will be like LOL deflections. And, like, you know, they'll say, like, watch the game. He's not a good defender. He just gets deflections. Well, 60-some-odd people voted for Robert. 60-some-odd people out of 100 voted for Robert Covington to be on an all-defensive team. I very much doubt all of them were doing it based off of deflections. I know Zach Lowe, for example, isn't selecting his team based off of deflections. I know you or I don't evaluate his defense based off of deflections. I don't think, I actually searched of the, you know, 150 or so odd articles I've written uh, since the beginning of the season. I haven't mentioned deflections or that's, defensive that's just box a thing plus you throw minus in there. or. You just, that's a random tip. Yeah, and like, I don't even. That, we're not building articles around deflections. To me, deflection is much more representative of the skill set you have in terms of reaction time and anticipation and quick hands than it is meaningful. I don't, I don't judge people's defense based off the deflection. So I think to get a little confirmation that, hey, it's not only us who watch him every day, who some people will accuse of having a bias for, which is, is pretty ridiculous because I think we're more than willing to criticize <coughs> Oka for people when they deserve it, uh, but also 60-some-odd, 65, 67, or whatever, people out of 100 voters also thought he was deserving of a team. So, I mean, good for him, like legitimately. And if you, you look at the on-off numbers uh, of the – rotation players that played the whole year. Better, best defensive rating on the team, even edged out Embiid, 99 points per 100 possessions. And when he was off the floor, worst defensive rating on the team, uh, 107. And that's partially due to the fact that Marco Bellinelli would come in for him and players uh, of that that ilk. Uh, he's really important, man. And I, I get it. He got absolutely roasted by Tatum. I, again, I just watched the whole series. He... He was like a goalie in hockey. You couldn't move side to side. It was it was not good. But for a regular season award, he uh, he deserved this. He he deserved to at least be on one of these teams. It's it's a great story too. Um, it's a it's not always the as you said the best selected award because a it's just hard to hard, yeah. account for defense and b it tends to go for names. I mean Kobe made. Far too many. Again, it's my second Kobe uh, bashing of the podcast. Made far too many first team All NBA defenses. Uh, yeah, so it's it's good to see him uh, get recognized for that for sure. Yes, yes, it is. And like I said, it was deserved last year. I understand why he didn't get a ten win team. Nobody watched. 
nobody watched regularly enough that you would pick up on nuances of defense. But I think he I think he deserves deserves it this year as well. So good on him. And we like we said, second team all all defense from Embiid. I think that's fair. I think he plays at, an, at a first team caliber defense. I think he plays at a, a defensive player of the year caliber level. There's just an, another guy in front of him who who does that marginally better. If he stays healthy throughout his career, he's not only going to win. Uh, he's not only going to make the first team. He's going to win a defensive player of the year. I mean, if he stays healthy, I think he's going to end up winning a winning an, an MVP, MVP, which is sure. again pretty absurd which, to say, but. Which he said at the exit meetings, by the way. Big news. He wants to win MVP. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All NBA teams. First team, LeBron, Harden, Anthony Davis, Lillard, and Durant. Second team, Giannis, Westbrook, Embiid, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, DeMar DeRozan. Third team, Curry, Curry, Oladipo, Carl Anthony Towns, Butler, and Paul George. So Embiid's second team is obviously the one that we care about there when... Anthony Davis, well, you know, when DeMarcus Cousins went out, Davis lit over, played the five almost full-time. I thought this was, especially with the way Davis ended the season and, and during the playoffs, not the, the play, again, these awards are voted on before the playoffs, but the way he ended the season, I thought this was a shoe, and I thought there was no chance Embiid was getting that first team. So getting second team, I think, is, a, is, is pretty good. Yep, and uh, it's funny. I follow a few of the people, a uh, few, few of the Sixers people I follow, Express the sentiment because obviously Embiid will now not get the thirty percent on his uh, on his new contract. Could still get MVP. <laughs> Could still get MVP. I don't. No, he's I don't not. Think it, he's not. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, so, so a couple things on that. One, I you know the, a few of the people on my Twitter timeline I saw. Man, this is a bummer that I'm rooting for my favorite player not to get more money it from is. the Sixers. Uh, and it is. It's. I felt a little dirty tweeting that right away. Like, oh, this is. Here's what's happening now. The Sixers will have five million more in cap space this uh, this off season, which is good. Instead of just saying, "Hey, Joel, congrats on making second team All NBA. Fantastic accomplishment, man." Uh, but we do live in a world where, unfortunately, uh, the All NBA selection has a massive impact on you know the the stars salaries which is just ridiculous uh so that's the first thing and and to go on that second point again we have uh i think we've been pretty fair on laying out what brian colangelo's done well what he hasn't done well what's going to matter in the future that was a nice job by him to negotiate uh away from the the usually it's if you make any of the all NBA teams, you can get that 30%. But the Embiid negotiation was so unique and both sides were, were taking risks. It, uh, it ended up working out well for him that he, he took away defensive player of the year and he took away, um, he took away the second and third all NBA teams. And that ended up being a huge deal because Jojo deserved to make second team. And he also got lucky that Anthony Davis went crazy and the voters don't care about what position he is because I'm not sure he technically would qualify as a center. I uh, think I think the positional breakdown on, on basketball reference, or maybe it was cleaning glass, I forget where I saw it, but I think it was 45% of his minutes at center this year, which... Close enough. Yeah, close enough. I, I, I wouldn't have I would have had any, uh, any well, hesitation it, voting him as a center. Well, and as somebody who doesn't like 
breaking it into positions. It should just be the five best players. It should. It should. Uh, then I, I fully support that AD was clearly one of the five best players in the NBA yep. this year. Yeah, and you're right. It, it kills me every time that these awards come out and you start looking at, you know, real-world dollars impact, earning potential that it, it has. It's insane to me that 100 select media members decide how much Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid are going to make. And and I think they did a good job, too. Yeah, no, I think they this did fine. Crazy. I think they did fine. But it's one thing, you know, on the one hand, it's like I'm glad neither you or I are asked to vote in this. And on the one hand, I'm glad because I don't want I don't want that kind of responsibility. Like I don't I don't think I should be determining how much somebody makes. On the other hand, I do think you and I would take it seriously. So at least like there's a little bit of that. But it, it's just it's just it's an absurd concept. It's absurd that I have to then go analyze it. But on the same token, like our job is to analyze how this impacts the team. And you can't analyze how this impacts the team without pointing out, oh, by the way, they have $5 million more in cap space in a crucial, crucial offseason. So we do have to point that out. You feel kind of dirty doing it, but it is, uh, you know, it, I, I, I can't stand this, this phrase. It is what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, so, like you said, I, th- if, I think they got it right. And if you look back at the negotiation, I mean, Embiid would have gotten the max contract with the way this year played out, clearly. Yep, 100%. And like you said, negotiating out second team, third team defensive player of the year, the spots that he was most likely to get to reach that qualifier, it's that very small concession they got from the, you know, from the agent and from Embiid saying, look, we'll give you this, you know, preemptively give you this contract, give it to you early, even though we know there's significant risk on our part. They obviously got the, um, you know, basically the career threatening part played into that as well, where they could get a portion of that back. But getting that was probably the bigger concession. And it's one of the things where actually the uh, the, the designated veteran extension, which is for guys wanting to get into the 35% slot, you can't negotiate anything out of it. It's only the, the rookie extension that you can. So it's something that's not done all that frequently at all. And it's something that's actually used to their advantage. And when you look at it now, they got the contract Embiid would have gotten anyway on the open market. And they got the designated um, negotiated out of it. it. It really is a win-win for the Sixers, which is weird. You know, somebody brought this up to me privately where it's like, we spend so much time talking about the players and focused on the players. Fans, by and large, care about the players much more than they care about ownership or management. Not all the time with the hanky years, which was a little little, little different, a little interesting. Uh, you could almost write a book on it. But it's something where we spend so much time worried about and connecting with the players, and then it gets time to contract situation you're like oh man i hope i hope that player makes as little as possible and you know, know. Because we all sit around we play armchair gm and it, and it impacts the team in a real meaningful way but it's just it's just it's it's a weird aspect of sports sour cat man all right, right. uh so it was good to see simmons get a few votes too yeah. well, uh, actually that's... one person brought that up like do you think ben simmons deserved to make any of these teams uh no but but I, I do think he deserved to be in that next next group though. I mean when you look at so Jimmy Butler and Paul George, I, I guess uh, Jimmy Butler, I don't really think there was much of an argument for. I thought he had a great year, even though he missed some time with uh, with injury. Uh, you know it's it's one of the it's the same thing with the All Star ex- except even even more so that I, I just think most voters kind of looked at Ben and said 
we're going to need another year out of you uh, I mean, look to at, establish it. Look at that third team. Curry, Oladipo, Towns, Butler, Paul George. Like, even if you throw away positions, because Ben Simmons is one of those guys where positions are, you know, he can he, he can defend so many that it, it, you're a little more lenient on it. Who? Like, who's he going to, you know, it, that was a real tough group. And I think the biggest criticism I had was Lillard. I'm not sure he would have been my first team point guard. He w- you know, I think with Curry missing time, it opens the door. But I'm not sure he would have been my first team point guard. But, like, are you really voting for a rookie? And I'm not a huge DeMar DeRozan fan. But are you really voting for a rookie Ben Simmons over DeRozan? Like, I, no. I mean, guys, he's a rookie. He has some holes. He was great. He should be rookie of the year based on the regular season. He's a real building block, a potential, you know, star slash super, superstar level player. Just be happy with that. Don't get... Don't get too worked up over these meaningless teams. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's knocking on the door, though. He, We got Paul ahead of him, Gobert, Irving, and that was it in terms of the players who got more votes than him but missed. So right. he's he's in a good spot. Yep. Let's, right. uh, let's, let's talk about him a little bit. Yeah, you had a, you had a pretty good article on, on Simmons and how the next step in his evolution isn't just tied to his jump shot. So why don't you start it off? Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the time we just write, he needs to get a jump shot and leaves it there. And that's, it's true. Like, the fact that he really doesn't shoot outside of 14 or 15 feet, and even when he does so, it's this mechanical, slow, really not not all that threatening thing to a defense, that's a problem, and that that's obviously his main problem moving forward. But when you listen to Brett Brown and even Simmons talk about this, it sounds like it's going to take some time for him to get to that level, if he ever does, which which isn't a guarantee. Uh, and, and I feel like it's a mistake to think, okay, he can't get better until that jump shot gets to a certain level. Because while he works on that, and hopefully, you know, my hope for next year, I again, I don't think he's going to be – stroking even like long twos next year consistently. Uh, hopefully he can get his free throw percentage up. Hopefully he can get the line a little bit more. Maybe we can see a few threes. Uh, but my main thing with him is while he builds that jumper up, you know, if it's a two, three, four-year process, he has a lot of bad habits that he can correct in the meantime that have nothing to do with that jumper. And And I think the main thing it boils down to is – Sort of like Russell Westbrook and and a few other guys, these these ball dominant players, when they don't have the ball, they're not threats, and that to me is Ben's biggest problem right now. And more so than Westbrook, it's a problem because Ben has the the skill set, the size, the speed, um, the bulk, the the smarts as a cutter to be really good off the ball. And uh, I think. Uh, J.J. Redick was on Bill Simmons' podcast earlier this week, and while I was writing this story, I was coming to that conclusion, but it was great because when I was listening to that, uh, he said the same thing. Simmons talked about something about like floaters and post moves and jump shots, and Redick said right away, he's like, I think the, the main area right away is he can turn into a Dwayne Wade type of cutter. And it, it's funny because when we talk about LeBron and and everybody brings up well Ben would love to play with LeBron obviously because 
that is pretty much his mentor. And LeBron is has looked at Ben as a guy who it seems like he's worthy of sort of passing the figurative torch to, which is impressive already. But the fit issues of how will Ben do without the ball because LeBron's going to need the ball. How how will LeBron accept that? In some ways, I think that would be a good thing for him because Ben needs to learn how to get better without the ball. Um, and, you know, there, there are other things I brought up in the article. The the thing that drives me insane, he picks up his dribble. It's it's freaking insane. I hate it. Stop doing it. And, and you saw the opposite end of that spectrum in the Boston series where you have TJ do those Steve Nash drives and always keep his dribble uh, live and, and probe the defense and look for players. You, you saw – a lot of the bad habits that Ben has, TJ doesn't have, which I, I just feel like, you know, part of that was a weird matchup. Part of it was, uh, I think it might have just been a five-game sample where Ben played really bad. Uh, but there, the Boston Celtics showed that Ben has a lot of growing to do in areas that don't involve whether he's shooting with the wrong hand or not. Yeah. Yeah, and I... You know, one of the, the takeaways I had from uh, summer league, or, I'm sorry, from the combine, is I did I talked to like three or four executives around the league, who basically had the comment of real great regular season player, and you know I think that still shows a lot of the pre-draft anxiety some people or criticism some people had of Ben Simmons, and I don't agree with it. Like I think he's going to be, yeah. you know, I think I think we look at the a lot of people are going to take the Boston series. And be like, well, look, that, that's proof that Ben can't work in the playoffs. So you can scheme around Ben Simmons' weaknesses. No. And I still very much feel like that is the right team with the right coach and the right personnel and the right discipline to execute that. I don't think every team can do that, or even many teams can do that. I'm not sure Agreed. if any team could have executed it that well. Maybe Golden State. Maybe Golden State. But outside of that, like, I think that's going to be really a real tough game plan to pull off. So I'm not going to go that far. But I think there are some things, like you said, the Sixers drafted Markel Fultz for a reason. And a lot of people are like, you know, you can't draft or you can't sign LeBron James because you drafted Ben Simmons to have the ball in his hand. You're going to stifle his development. I think a lot of times we use that a little bit too liberally. Like we stifle development. Like we all agree that the most important thing Ben Simmons needs to do is, is improve that jump shot and, well, really develop a jump shot. And he can do yeah. that. We're not talking about a, a kid who's like really great and confident anywhere with that jump shot in practice, at the free throw line, off the dribble, off the catch. Like he needs to put in reps, thousands and thousands of thousands of reps, hopefully with better form one day when he figures out that maybe this isn't going to get him to where he wants to go. Maybe even with a different hand, who knows, but he needs reps and he can, if you have LeBron James here for three years and LeBron leaves and Ben Simmons is 25 He's going to have had the reps where he should improve that jump shot, and that's number one. He's going to need to be better off the ball because he's not right now, and without that jump shot may never be, a great half-court pick-and-roll point guard. So you need a guy with that skill set. Oh, by the way, that's why you drafted Markel Fultz. So he's going to need to learn how to play off the ball anyway. He's going to get that time, that experience playing off the ball with LeBron James. He's going to have to master that, like you say. He's going to have to cut off the ball. He's going to have to, you know, use screens to get good post position. He's going to have to, you know, do all kinds of things to get himself open, get himself easy looks, and to be a threat even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Because you're never going to have an offense where you're not going to want a second, or 
maybe even if Markel Fultz isn't the primary half-court initiator, you're going to at least want a guy to be a secondary and to add value that way. So he's going to have to get a lot more comfortable playing off the ball. He's going to have to develop in that regard. He has these kind of weaknesses. I think the Sixers saw these weaknesses. I don't think these are anything new that he showed this year. I'm not going to go as far as some of those GMs that told me that he's a great regular season player. But I do think putting him off ball isn't going to kill his development. I do think he has to develop in that regard. I do think his improvement is more than just a jump shot, even though a jump shot is still probably the biggest thing that he needs in his arsenal. Your throwaway comment, by the way, encapsulates why I would be all for LeBron signing here. Ben Simmons, they could play for three years together. Ben would be 25. I know, I know. Right? This is just, he's not going to be ruined. Calm down, calm down. Uh, yeah, so uh, pick and roll is obviously a big thing. Like you said, the Sixers need a player who, frankly, can run one because they, they don't have that as part of their offense. And that, w- when watching the series, that was a huge takeaway. As, as good as uh, as Brad Stevens is, they ran one set so much for Jason Tatum. It was the simplest set ever where he had the option to run off of uh, Al Horford's screen at the top, and then he would get a pick and roll. But because Jason Tatum has the ball handling and shooting to run a pick and roll – the Sixers couldn't stop it. And there's really nothing Brett could do about that. Simmons, uh, that's another area where he, uh, where, where the Celtics kind of showed where he needs to grow. And this is something that uh, all young players have to deal with. His, uh, his attention to detail on defense was just not good enough in that series. Got lost off the ball a lot. Had the bad habit. Brett calls it playing in a phone booth, uh, standing up straight. He's he's got to work on that a little bit. Um, yeah, and just just kind of valuing every possession because you know as bad as Ben played and as many mistakes as he made, and that can be spread out all over the team. The the poor shooting from Embiid and all the wings. I think when when I added up the final series, four one series, they lost by fifteen points. Yep. Uh, and obviously those three games. So. Those those three games they had a fourth quarter lead, so a possession here, a possession there, we could be talking. You know, we could we could still be talking about the Sixers playing right now. So and and again, obviously Boston didn't have their their big guns, but those are the type of lessons I think Ben can learn from this series. I think he will learn a lot of these, and and like like you said too. Uh, I'd like to see Ben Simmons run pick and rolls in the future too. Yep. But right now, I mean, I'd like to see him do it more now. I, I think that's one area where I would question Brett a little bit. I I would have liked to have seen a few more of those snug pick and rolls with Embiid, just see how Boston reacted to those. But I, I, I do agree with Brett's general philosophy of, well, he, he can't shoot, so it's not going to be the most efficient play in the world right now. Uh Lot, lot of lot of areas to grow, which on the one hand is frustrating, but when you think about how far he got them this year and how well he played, I think it's also pretty exciting moving yeah. forward. It was like newsflash. He's a rookie. Um, yeah. You know, we, we didn't spend all offseason saying rookies don't lead teams to playoff, deep playoff runs for, for no reason at all. Uh, it was just frustrating in the moment. All right. Uh, let's see. We were going to get to some early draft thoughts, but I, I know you're probably still – Putting together your board, I'm certainly still doing so 
with firing mine. Up the, I'm not firing up the Bridges boys on Synergy this weekend. Yes, so. we are. Um, this is a, a weird year in that usually we can start focusing on the draft on January 1, and this year we had, you know, a solid four and a half months more of, of meaningful basketball to cover, which is not what I'm used to, but a uh, little, little, little bit of a later start than typical. So let's go ahead and move on to a, mail, a couple of mailbag questions. So the first question is from Adam, at Sixers Adam, who, congratulations, I believe he just uh, just started writing for Liberty Ballers, our old stomping ground. How much would you be willing to give up to get off of Jared Bayless's contract, which is about $8.5 million this year? Well, I think that depends on what I'm getting off it for. Yeah. And, which, and, and you brought this point up, I think, at, at some point. We're most likely talking about draft compensation here, and the draft is before free agency. So you might not have that luxury. Yeah, the easiest way, because if you wait until free agency, um, you are going to have to find a team that has cap space because you're trying to clear that cap space. If you trade them in July, you're trying to clear cap space in July. So you have to send them to a team that's able to absorb the entire contract. Not part of the contract because you can stretch him and clear off you know, two-thirds of that contract right away. So you have to be able to find someone who can absorb more than two-thirds of that contract. And there aren't, you know, maybe, what, like five or six teams that could realistically do that. So your options are very limited, which means that your most likely chance, because you can trade him on draft night because he still has a year left in his contract, your most likely chance of trading him is on draft night. And at that point, you're not going to know what you're going to have to you know, what, you're not going to you're not going to have any assurances that you're going to be able to sign Paul George or LeBron James. So my would I give up, let's say, a first round pick to move Jared Bayless on draft night? I don't know. I don't I, that that 26 pick. I here's my wrong way of looking at it. They're probably going to 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 use this either trick, you know, give the pick away because that would clear off like another 1.5, 1.6 million, something like that. Or use it on a draft and stash guy. Again, would, would clear off that kind of cap space. And if we're talking about another, you know, Pesechniks, who I'm not sure is a realistic... I don't know what the odds are of him coming over at this point. Like, it, it, it's he seems like he still needs quite a bit of development. If the, if, if the option is, you know, a guy like that, then maybe may, maybe you give it up and you just... Because if you get rid of Bayless and you get rid of that, that pick... You're pretty much, I think you might need to clear another couple hundred thou. You know, basically, let's say Rashawn Holmes, you trade Rashawn Holmes for a second round pick or something. But I think you might be able to, like, that might be enough. I think those three pieces would be enough. So maybe maybe if if your thought process is, well, Brian Colangelo is not going to use this draft pick anyway. So let's go ahead and include that, get rid of Bayless, get rid of, you know, trade Rashawn Holmes for a future pick and, and good, we're good to go. Maybe you can talk me into that. I don't like thinking like that, like, let's do this because they're not going to use a pick anyway. I'd still like to use that pick, you know, getting a contributor with one of these late picks would be great. And right now you don't know what you have in Firk and Korkmaz. You certainly don't know what you have in Timote Luau Cabarro. It would be great to take another swing at a, a, a cheap, usable asset. So my gut says, if it were me, wait until the summer. See if you can get someone to take him for less than that, that first round pick. And if not stretch him and, and find another way to get to that, 
you know, that, that 10 million or so that they need to get to if, if, if you have a LeBron James who wants to sign there. Because by the way, Paul George, you don't need to, you, you, you can stretch Bayless and that be enough for Paul George. So I guess that's the other thing. It really is for LeBron James and LeBron James only. And if, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is if you get to the point in July and you know you can sign LeBron James, then I'm willing to overpay to get rid of Bayless. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, that's what it boils down to. Uh, breaking news here. The the Denver Broncos are bringing in Sam, Sam Hinkie yep. as an analytics consultant. He, uh, he worked, I think it was the uh, 49ers, but he'd, he'd done some consulting work for NFL before, so it's not a huge shock. I guess that means it probably doesn't mean anything. Like Everyone's going to speculate whether or not he's going to get a chance this summer. I guess this is probably something where he, he could probably break that contract pretty easily would be my guess. But uh, you know, good for yeah. him. Gives him something to do other than give lectures and teach classes at a uh, at Stanford. Yep. And go and, uh, on podcasts at Arnars. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to listen to that yet. Uh, I, I will at some point because I'm mean, not our whenever, podcast, Rich. It's not our podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, but whenever whenever Sam speaks, it's so infrequent that that I do. I do tend to love love that content. Um, what did you think of Embiid shit talking Baines? By the way, probably not the smartest decision Joel Embiid's ever made. Yeah, like I I, I I'm a huge fan of shit talking. Like um my my general philosophy is the more the merrier. I think it makes makes the sport more interesting. I think it makes the sport more fun. But probably not to the team that just knocked you out of the playoffs. Like when a team yeah. ends your season, you probably you, you wait until. Yeah, I have something to talk about. Like, uh, not the right person. Not the right person. Yeah, I, I, I keep waffling back and forth because that that is undoubtedly true. And Baines played well against him, despite the fact that Joe also had a dunk on him that was one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I do also think like, ah, screw it, the more the merrier. Uh, just keep just keep it going. I mean, I'm not yeah. gonna get like upset over it. Like, okay, he yeah. did it, move on. I don't particularly care. But just in terms of a you know a business decision for Joel, probably not the uh, probably not the wisest. But I, I was happy for Embiid, by the way, too. He was on that Bahamas vacation with uh, Michael Rubin and and company. It looked like, and the videos of him dunking on five foot white guys. Now he doesn't get made fun of them <laughs> yeah. for that anymore because people have seen him dunk on seven foot white guys. Like the the terror of. Trying to go down a water slide, though, he might get made fun of a little bit for. That was great. That was great. Uh, and, and Michael yeah. Rubin, God bless, living living his best life. Woo! Car. Dudes everywhere. All right. We might we, we might need to, uh, to He get would on be that. a great the, uh, pod guest, yes. Yeah. All right. Next. I'd love uh, to write a feature on him just to follow him around and see what famous people I, I could find. Like, like, I was, like, I was walking behind him. Uh... At one of the playoff games, and he was kind of in the the back area, sort of the bowels of the arena where the press room is, and he was FaceTiming, so I just couldn't help but notice that he was talking to, to Bob Kraft on the other side <laughs> of uh, of the FaceTime. So, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy for sure. All right, next question from Ryan at Hate the Face. Good handle. If the Sixers can convince Reddick to sign a 4.5 million exception for one year, what are the obstacles from that point to signing him to a bigger long-term contract? Basically, can he essentially take a one-year pay cut 
in 1819 to then allow the Sixers to go over the cap and bring them back in 1920. So I actually looked this up pretty recently. It's, it's, it's a great question. One of the weird things with the collective bargaining agreement, so obviously right now when J.J. Redick, he's a non-bird player, which means the Sixers can go over, I believe it's 120% of his 2017-18 contract to bring him back. Like you can go over the cap to sign your own guy, even if uh, even if you've only had him for one year. But in order to sign LeBron James, Sixers would have to renounce his bird rights. But if the Sixers renounce Reddick's bird rights, sign LeBron James, then sign Reddick to a one-year room-level exception, which is just under $5 million, you actually re-inherit bird rights. Even though you've renounced the rights, you re-inherit because he hasn't changed teams. Basically, what that means is after the 2018-19 season, you would go into the, the 2019 offseason where J.J. Redick would have two years of, of, of rights to his credit, which basically means he'd be an early bird free agent. So what that means, I believe it's 170, you can go up to 175% of his previous year's salary to bring him back. So that means you could start J.J. Redick at about $7.8, $7.9 million which is less than the mid-level exception, so it really doesn't even matter. It's, it's minutiae that doesn't matter. Because basically, the, the way you get the most money to J.J. Redick is not with his early bird rights, but with his uh, with, with, with a, a mid-level exception. But then he'd also be one year away from having full bird rights, That's right? That's true. You could sign him to a one-year mid-level deal, and then after the 2019-20, or after the, yeah, after the 2019-20 season, the summer of 2020, you could then bring him back to a long-term deal with his bird rights yeah it's uh i mean i'm going to be really interested to see what happens with him this summer well, at that he, point he'd be like 35 ish so I'm yeah sure. but would it be i mean if he if he played on you know a five million dollar contract though he like let's say they sign lebron reddick is the rare guy that he's in their plans regardless of what happens like yep. He becomes more valuable almost when when LeBron shows up because my God, what a fit those two would be. Yep. Uh, he uh, he was on Simmons' podcast this week and he had a lot of good stuff about Ben, Joel, the team culture. Interesting little tidbit he threw in there too that Colangelo made him decide. He basically gave him twenty minutes to decide whether he was going to get that contract, and Colangelo told him. And I don't think this was out there before. Uh, I'm just going to throw that deal at Andre Wadala in 20 minutes. So go ahead and decide. And, and Redick ultimately said yes. Uh, so there was a lot of good stuff. He made it sound like he really wanted to be back, though. Yeah. Regardless. And, and he and he even advocated to go along with, with what Brown and Colangelo did at exit meetings. Redick, who not only is technically not on the team right now, is has his future earnings completely tied to LeBron showing up? Basically, campaign for LeBron to come to the Sixers. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I mean, it would be on the one hand, Redick is a very smart. So, okay, real quick to tie it up. The reason that the early bird rights or the, the reason the bird rights matter is because unlike the early bird rights or the non-bird rights, it's not tied to your previous year's salary. You can go up to the maximum to bring him back. Going back, you know, on the one hand, Redick is a very financially savvy guy like he's very into making money investing money being smart with his money on the other hand him campaigning for lebron and even the thought that he would i mean look i don't know how many 
teams are going to be out there looking for like clearly I think Brooklyn would probably bring him in. They seem like they want that kind of veteran leadership type role. He's from Brooklyn. He would, you know, locally or, or in terms of of location, he would like that. But what he's if Brooklyn that's, offers him four times, three to four times the salary the Sixers do, like that's a that's a pretty hell of a of a, you know, pay cut to stay here with uh, with the Sixers. I'm not sure they're gonna though. What what do they have about I think it's about 15 million in cap space. I mean, that, that, that would be three to four times. But yeah, you're yeah, right, that would be all of it's it. True. That, that would be all of it. Yeah. And they're also paying and you look at that roster too. I mean, they have Alan Crabb at some ridiculous number. Uh Dinwiddie, I, I, not to say that these guys would completely prevent them, and Russell and Lynn, obviously, too. Uh, not to say those guys would prevent Reddick from showing up. I, I just wonder if he's the best fit with them because Brooklyn last summer really didn't feel that way. Yep. Yep. And I mean, that, it's, and it's, by the way, that's the team I would worry about if I were the Sixers. Well, what, the Knicks have money, too, right? I think. I think the Knicks have money. Maybe they have the same thought process. Think if Porzingis comes back early in the season, they could be interesting I don't know I don't know it's it's always hard to try to decipher what other teams are are going to do yeah but yeah that that's basically like how can you get him on a higher salary that that's how it would break down I would love it if you know Reddick looked at it and said look if they sign LeBron James or a title contender I can come back complete that team you get his off-ball movement and gravity it would, it would be a, a great fit but uh, I will always err on the side of, you know, that uh, that player probably isn't turning down ten plus million a year. So we'll we'll see what offers he gets uh, gets elsewhere. From uh, Jim Regan at James Regan one on Twitter, what are the odds the window is actually closing and there are enough misses and question marks to declare the process in jeopardy? Whew! Bleak timeline. Bleak. <laughs> Uh, I. What was the question? What are the chances of that? That the window is actually closing, and there are enough misses and question marks to the to declare the process in jeopardy. I wouldn't say the window is closing. In no way would I phrase it that way. But could this be like you know, death by a thousand nicks? Like I guess that's basically what he's going for. Like, are have they missed enough in terms of these? Small transactions where it could add up to something big. Uh, I, I think there might be a, there could be a little bit of that, but to me, it just comes down to faults. That's yeah. that, and and you know, if if you say that's a miss, now, fine, I'm gonna still rule it as a question mark, because uh, I'm not writing Markel off yet. Um, no, I mean, he's the 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 two most important things for the Sixers by a mile right now are getting Fultz on track and getting a difference-making free agent in the next two off-seasons. So, no, I, I don't think the window is closing. <laughs> no, I do. Th- like, it would be nice if, you know, you've got Colangelo's used, I think, five draft picks, like you're talking. Ben Simmons, the two for Markel Fultz, Luau Cabarro, Korkmaz, and uh, is that it? And then the, the two this Perception. year. Perception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have very little to show for it outside of outside of Ben Simmons. And two of those draft picks are very high. So those can certainly matter in a very big way. Very, very big way. 
And they've all, outside of Simmons, probably gone about as bad as you could have hoped for. Two of them, three of them really, when you consider Pesechniks, not high probability draft picks by any means. But when you're talking about three of them now used, you hope one of them, you get value from one of them. You've got another one coming up in that range this year. You've got a 10 pick coming up this year. You know, if he uses these two picks, doesn't get a contributor here, you are starting to get to the point where you've really depleted a lot of assets. And I think where this will come into play, because you're right, right now the most important thing is Markel Fultz and the cap space. Where this will come into play is if Boston is able to beat the Sixers on a Kawhi Leonard offer or whatever star comes up available in a trade next. Because one of the ways the Sixers were positioned to get a star, you know, that third star, fourth star, not only with that Markel Fultz draft pick, not only with that Lakers and the Kings draft pick, which Lakers ended up finishing with a better record than you would have hoped for, and the Kings pick is now going to Boston, barring a, a minor miracle in the lottery next next spring. But one of the other ways is through draft. And I think that's where my concern starts creeping in the most, because Markel Fultz, you know, those two draft picks, that number three pick last year and that future Kings pick, that became Markel Fultz, you have a lot less trade equity now than you had at this point last year. So my major concern is that the the trade opportunities are dwindling because you just don't have, unless you're going to include Ben Simmons or or Joel Embiid, which nobody is going to do that, your trade options now are, are, are pretty reduced. And I still think the Sixers have an intriguing package, but I do think Boston can beat it. The question is how much Boston is willing to give up in terms of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It's, uh, you know, there is a consequence to burning assets. I do think right now the Sixers' assets are worth a lot less than when Colangelo inherited. So there is some concern there. But if Markel Fultz works out or if they sign LeBron James, it might not even matter. That's that's my general point. But, yes, uh, agreed that, yeah, I mean, God, it, it that's why we talked about uh, Fultz being such a such a huge deal because it's not just missing potentially on Tatum and, and wasting one pick. And again, I'm not saying he's a waste yet. I, I want to see that jumper next year, but it's also the pick that they're going to give up in 2019. And it's it's tough for us because we both supported the draft and pretty strongly. And I think I tend to have generally speaking, an appropriate fear of uncertainty. But I think there's always one or two guys in a draft that I feel really confident about. And I felt really confident about Fultz. And I don't know if that was a, you know, not having the proper respect for uncertainty or if that was just a a pure misevaluation, which are obviously tied together. But it doesn't really matter how we felt about the trade at the time. Like, you know, we'll learn from it cover the team better in the future. Are, are you really going to learn? Are you really going to learn from it? Probably not. I'm way. an idiot. I'm an idiot. Um, no, no, no. But seriously, we're going to learn that a guy's going to forget how to shoot. No, after there, he plays. this was, I, 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 think, I, I learned about Okafor. I learned from Okafor. Oh, for sure. My, my overrating of him, but I wouldn't is. say I learned from a draft evaluation, but from a, a, a trade, you know, I think maybe giving up those two picks, like I, I felt really confident on, on Fultz and maybe my, my confidence, interval changes in the future. Okay. But no, I you couldn't. There was no predicting this. There was absolutely no predicting this. Um, and a lot of people like to say, like, the Celtics predicted it. No, they didn't. No, and I've, I've talked to people around the league, Celtics, Lakers, 
everyone around that drafter, nobody predicted predicted he was forgetting how to shoot. Um, yeah, I don't. It's 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 it's. Well, I think that the common thought is too if everybody says, well, if they just stayed at three, they could have gotten Fultz. I don't think that's the case. I think the Lakers would have taken no, him. No, he, he he killed the Lakers workout. He was real good in the Lakers workout. They liked yeah. him a lot. I think I think he would have gone too. I know. You know, Magic talked a lot about Lonzo. Magic also thought Fultz was going number one. Um, yeah. And that drives a lot of that conversation. No, I think I think he would have been gone. I think he would have been left with the with Lonzo Ball at three. Um. But yeah, did, my, you, see my, the, did my, you see the game of zones by the way? Yet? Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. <laughs> if you if you are a Sixers fan who likes can laugh at themselves and does not take themselves too seriously. The game of zones with the rookies playing NBA 1K, which is just like a board game. And, and this is saying something because those guys are unbelievable. It's some of their best work ever. Yeah, they, they really, anytime, you know, you probably just notice it because you, you follow the team much more closely. But their Sixers references are always on point. It was it was really oh, good. Fultz taking the shot and knocking over the Embiid piece the, the chess piece was so funny <laughs> he's like okay i'm finally ready to play and he knocks and beats head off like right away it was it that was, that one was great and then the lonzo ball with like the weird form <laughs> when he was shooting that killed me too those guys are very good at what they do and also sixers fans uh you should go check out rich's article from last year at the philly voice uh it was really good guys i i, I like those guys i like the product going back to markel regardless of whether or not we supported the trade at the time. We also have to acknowledge the fact that it would be a huge, huge, huge blow if this doesn't work out in the Sixers' favor. A um, lot riding on that, for sure. All right, last mailbag question, and then we'll let you go. Uh, Cole Ahern at, at Cole Ahern 11. If the Sixers miss out on, on LeBron James, Paul George, and Kawhi, what is plan D? Oh, man, I haven't really looked that far. <laughs> I, mean, I, st- I still think plan D is, uh, is Reddick. Is it Redick? Uh, I'm assuming that question is, what do you do next year? Oh no, Plan, plan D this year, I would say, is just sign Redick, hopefully at a little bit smaller of a number than $23 million, and maybe try and find one or two other vets who would be willing to join you know, a, a team on the up and up. Yeah, yeah, I still think uh, – yeah, and this is interesting because but, – But what do you do next year, though, if you strike out on – and everybody's off the board? Well, what does what what does Ben Simmons and what does Markel Fultz look like? Because that that could influence it. Like, do you have confidence in Markel Fultz being let's that pick role player that you thought he could be? Let's say let's say we do have more confidence in Markel. I, I don't think we, I don't think Markel is going to be an MVP candidate next year. Where to the point where we're going to have like all the confidence. But let's say like he's trending better and the jumper looks better. Well, I think so. I, I first of all for this summer, I think what you do is is like I said, bring back. JJ at a one-year deal, find other guys on a one-year deal, and move forward like that because I do think you want to come back, get another year with with Simmons and Markell, and you can make a better informed decision. And also, there are still guys out there. So two guys, and I haven't looked into this too hard, but there's two guys at the very top in terms of Kemba Walker and Jimmy Butler. Yeah. And with Kemba, you worry about the defense. With Jimmy Butler, you worry about Thibs. (laughs) <laughs> um and and just the sheer minutes he's played like I'm I feel like that's a ticking time bomb even though he's only what maybe 28 I still it's it's an old 28 man 
He and by Tom Thibodeau, twenty eight. It's it's as a four year college player too. It's still an old twenty eight. Yeah, yeah. But those are the two headliners. If this is kind of under the assumption that Kawhi Leonard and Clay Thompson reach extensions beforehand, which there's rumors out there, reports out there that Clay is willing to take less money to come back and keep that team. No. And there are rumors or reports. I don't want to say rumors because there are reports from legitimate journalists that Kawhi is waiting to see whether or not the Spurs offer him that exception, um, that designated veterans exception. Man. So if those two – and look, maybe they don't. Kawhi could then re-qualify for the designated veterans uh, contract if he you know reaches one of those qualifiers, an all-NBA team, MVP, defensive player of the year, all those which are all in play if Kawhi comes back healthy. So if those two are off the table, Butler, Kemba Walker, lower on the list, the guy like Tobias Harris, Harrison Barnes, who I'm a little terrified of the contract, he's going to end up getting from a team. I have to look deeper into it. I'm not sure what else is out there. I, Kyrie Irving has a player option for like $21 million, which is ridiculously cheap in today's salary cap. He'll probably opt out. And I think Boston is going to be real interesting how they bring back their key guys because, you know, Kyrie, Hayward, and Horford couldn't end up making 90 to $100 million between the three of them. And do you want to commit that? Uh, it's They're going to have some tough choices. So he could be an option. I think he probably ends up staying in Boston. Like, I don't think they traded that Brooklyn pick for, you know, a two-year rental of him. But he he could be interesting. Like, there's some guys, but no surefire guys. Yeah. I and it's true when you talk about the next tier being Kemba and Butler. To me, that's very dependent on what you're getting from Fultz. Yeah. Uh, because because if Fultz is the high level creator and initiator, we we think he can be. Kemba becomes almost superfluous there. Uh, yeah, it's look and and Butler obviously he's got the the tips miles on him. To me, it's. This is up to Colangelo now. He's got to get one of those big four. Yeah, yeah, he really does. He really one does. of them. Got to you. Got to have your your best salesman at a at that meeting this summer, which is why I'm the, the anti-LeBron camp. Just I don't understand it at all. Uh, that's a, a a different. We'll have plenty of podcasts for that. All right. Last one. Any any real? This is my own mailbag question. Any real conference finals thoughts? So we were watching the game with our uh, our colleagues at the Athletic last night. We had our what do you think once every three times a year meeting. Uh, yeah, I think that's the third one we've had. Yeah. And we we were watching the game. The uh, I in my opinion, I think whoever wins the Western Conference is going to smash the Eastern Conference team. But now CP3 not being healthy worries me a little bit about that. I will say it, he's it, out. it does. Re- he's out for the next game. Yeah, which just fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, I it's it has not been very pretty basketball in the West. The uh, the Rockets they make you work so hard that they go to you into this this ISO heavy game, which is not how Golden State plays. Uh, it uh the game game four I think was the best game of the series so far and even with all the mistakes that were made at the end it kind of reminded me of uh 
of Game 7 of the NBA Finals when they lost to the Cavs, the Warriors, where Cleveland had to work so hard and they were all just so physically exhausted and it just felt like the Warriors, they they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. And, and you know, we'll see. I, I thought they were going to win Game 6 anyway. And that, now with CP3 out, that seems almost like a foregone conclusion. But it, to me, it's can, can Houston work hard enough to uh, – to get one more game, it's uh, get, getting this team to seven games at minimum is already really impressive, though. And then, and then on the East, it just—I uh, don't even know what to do with the Cavs. <laughs> they one, it doesn't even look like they want to play in the finals half the time. No, when uh, uh, you know, uh, Le- know LeBron looked, and I guess going back to the West for one second, Houston plays the best version of my least favorite version of basketball. Like, of that, that style of play, they're the best. But, like, you're watching that second half, and you're like, oh, they're going to get a switch, and, you know, Chris Paul's going to hit a step-back jumper. And that's just that's just the way the series has gone. It's been tough to watch at times. And like you said, they can trap you into playing that style of play, even the Warriors. And it definitely has not been the cleanest. I think a lot of people went in with really high expectations of watchability for the series, and it hasn't lived up to my standards in that regard. The East, I mean, LeBron looked tired for like real legitimately like exhausted a little bit during the end of game five. And if he's not at his tip top game, they just have no chance. Like he drops like 26 or 27 or whatever. And it's like, that's not going to get it done, buddy. Like you can't, this isn't a team where you can drop 26 and expect to win. There's just not, not enough there on either end of the court to fall back on. And it does have very much a feeling of those early LeBron Cavs teams that just didn't have the firepower. This team can score at times, or at least can benefit off of the attention LeBron draws. But if they're off, their defense is just so shitty that it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I I do think it, it's you know Boston at this point the only road game they've won is Game Three in Philadelphia, yeah. and they haven't lost a home game, which makes Game Two of Three of the Sixers series just so goddamn frustrating. Just so because they had a chance that no other team has really had. And they had a, oh. a game three that that they should have been able to close out, and they blew both of them. Game three was already frustrating with the way that game unfolded, and now you look at the Celtics' home road splits being the one team to lose a road game to them is frustrating. But yeah, I was watching the game the other night when they were the Celtics weren't even playing well. They had like a a four minute stretch where I think they went zero for ten from the field in the third quarter, and they were missing. God, they missed so many dunks that team. Uh, and you're watching it, and they're still up. 12, 14, 15, and, and my thought is, wow, the Cavs have not even been in striking distance in Boston, and the Sixers let, they, I mean, they they choked two games away at the end, yep. which is just, it makes it more frustrating. Yeah, and in the West, I guess the, the other point I'd say is, it, while they're not playing the most watchable basketball, Houston's defense has been pretty impressive to me. Oh, for sure. Uh, yep. And it's it's good to see uh, D'Antoni he still gets the label of he doesn't coach defense. Uh, they, they're forcing the Warriors into playing like some terrible ass ISO ball, and that's frankly with that that group of players and with somebody as bad as James Harden is defensively, that's pretty impressive to me. Yep. All right, I think that's probably good. We will get into as the calendar flips over to June. We'll get into a little more heavy draft talk. But thank you for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. All right, man. I'll see you.
You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.